Hey everyone, Joe Graves here, Central City Podcast. It's good to uh, have you. And if uh, I just want to say welcome again for everyone who listens to the podcast. We're so glad. We're continuing our series today on the feelings of Jesus, the emotions of Jesus. And today I'm talking about anger. And I just want to say thank you for all the feedback that I've gotten. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. But for everyone who's already reached out, I really appreciate it. Um, if you, uh, if podcast is uh, your main way of connecting with the church, uh, welcome. Um, if there's ever a way that I could be praying for you or support you, uh, please let me know. And of course, if you're ever interested in participating in a small group or in, a, in, in some of our classes, or if you're interested in giving, you can learn all of that by going to centralcity.co or by uh, going and downloading the Church Center app and finding us on there. We keep uh, the Church Center app is the one place where we kind of connect with everyone. Our small groups are on there, our directory our uh, giving platform, and a variety of other things when we have major events and stuff. So uh, you can go to centralcity.churchcenter.com, and you can find us online as well. So uh, no further ado, uh, here is this week's sermon. We're continuing our series on emotions. Part of that series, we've been inviting people to share poems. Because uh, it's one ways in which we express emotions, you know, poetry. And uh, we have another poem today that I think will dovetail well uh, with what we're talking about, which is anger. Yeah, we're going to talk about anger today, and we'll see if I make you mad in the process. But uh, uh, Travis is going to share with us uh, a, a poem that he's written. All right, so this is actually based off of something that happened to me uh, a month ago. And so... Here's my hero. Here comes my hero, so valiant and true. When trouble approached me, my hero came through. An honorable man, my hero it seems. A trustworthy man, my hero to me. I grew up to think my hero was great, and I never understood why he'd garner such hate. It didn't make sense why people felt how they did. I thought that for years, even as a kid. In despair, he'd come through. That was my belief. But my hero's gun was now pointed at me. I work here, I cried. I promise it's true. He stood close with his gun, ready to shoot. A twitch or a color, and I'd have been shot. Shot by my hero. Shot by a cop. And what did I get with innocence proven? No apology issued. My hero kept moving. But from what I was told, it wasn't his fault. I made the mistake. He just did his job. So don't meet your heroes, is the lesson I learned. I'd given respect, but respect wasn't earned. So that was my story. I hope it was clear, because I'm Travis Ray, and yes, I work here. Ready for that? Friday morning, uh, Alyssa, my wife, Alyssa and I took a, uh, we were driving the church truck over to North Linden because um, uh, we're in the process of uh, selling it. We had to empty a few things. Alyssa's a pastor in North Linden. So we were parking the church truck uh, at North Linden, dropping off our trailer and a few other things that she needed when a young man came running up to us. Uh, and he asked for a cigarette, which is uh, not uncommon. And uh, we've talked about how we maybe need to start carrying cigarettes or a lighter with us just so we can respond to people when they ask. But uh, what was unique about 
this particular incident was the look in this kid's eyes. He's about an 18-year-old kid. And uh, he was in shock, just absolutely terrified. Um, without us even asking, he started to tell us what was going on. He had been woken up by his stepdad and his brother. There was arguing. People were angry. This argument escalated. He was in the middle of it for some reason. Next thing he knew, he was being dragged outside where his older brother proceeded to just lay into him, dragging him through the mud, punching him in the face, in the chest. He had just woke up. That's what he said. I just woke up. I don't even know what's going on. I just woke up. I just woke up. Why would a brother do that to me? He couldn't make sense of what was happening. Long story short, listen, I ended up spending half the day with this young man. Um, he clearly just needed time. He was in shock. Uh, he didn't have a coat. He had just woke up. And uh, so we got him in the truck. We were going to give him a ride somewhere. But where he wanted to go wasn't available yet. His sister was still out of town, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we, we hung out with him. And as he calmed down, he started to tell us a little bit of all that happened. I'm still obviously fuzzy on the details. I think he was too. Um, but there was something he said that stood out to me in preparation for today, that why I share it with you, he was telling us of what his brother said. And his brother said something like, and I might not be quoting it perfectly, his brother's like, I'm gonna take all of my anger out on you. Just a punching back, you know, for his brother's anger. Even though he wasn't even sure what his brother was angry about. Anger, uncontrolled anger, is a brutal friend. Today, we continue our series on the emotions of Jesus, and you've guessed it, we're going to talk about anger. And yes, Jesus felt anger. And yes, uh, anger is an emotion we've probably all felt at times. But also, yes, not all anger is the same. Oh, look at that guy. I keep thinking I need to show a clip from that movie, so, and it hasn't happened yet. I need to rewatch it. Uh, anger, like most emotions, have the potential to be used for good, but also as much potential to be used for bad. Anger can destroy lives, okay? But anger can also be a catalyst that saves lives, interestingly enough. We, we think of examples where anger has gone wrong, where it's been the catalyst of abuse, domestic violence, wars, uh, but anger isn't by nature an evil emotion, I need you to hear this. Anger by nature isn't necessarily an evil emotion. You don't have to be ashamed that you were angry. All of us have been angry. In fact, I should ask if there's anyone here who's never been angry, don't raise your hand. We're going to be mad at you. Um, <laughs> we'll be so angry <laughs> that you've never experienced it. What we find today is that anger is a fine emotion. It's what we do with anger that matters most. So let me start with just a couple of really simple definitions. We love definitions, right? They're so interesting. Uh, to, just to make sure we all know what we're talking about. So anger is normal, and we need to uh, healthy ways to express it, okay? Now, anger is not the same as rage. Rage is dangerous, and you should probably try to avoid it. Uh, it still happens, but here's, here's the difference. Anger is an emotion. We feel it when something has happened that we think is wrong, either to us or someone we care about. Right? So it's an emotion. We feel angry because something's not right. 
it's an emotional response to injustice, to pain, you know, to things that are annoying us. Uh, and that's not bad. If, if things aren't right, we should come aware of it. It's like pain isn't bad. Pain tells you that there's something wrong with your body, right? If you get hurt and your arm hurts, you don't want to feel pain, but good thing you're feeling pain because now you know you can get it looked at and we can identify the problem, right? So anger identifies that there's something that's not right. Rage is when this emotion is converted to action without self-control. So anger turns into rage when it's put into action without, when we lose it. Anger tells us that something wrong has happened. Rage usually behaves very much like the thing that we're upset about. In other words, we contribute to the wrong that's happening when when we rage. These differences are important. So to explore this more, um, we're going to look at a story where Jesus was angry and what he did about it. We're going to look at a story of Jesus's confrontation in the temple courts. I've preached on this passage a number of times. Uh, Jesus uh, kind of, uh, I'm going to use this lightly and jokingly, Jesus rages a little bit. Um, But uh, it's a fascinating story. I learned something new this time around. I learned something new every time I preach on these passages, and uh, I'm excited to share with you. So you can follow along Matthew chapter 21, and you can pull out the Bible in your pew if you want to. It'll be on the words on the screen as well. We're going to Matthew 21, starting with verse 12. And uh, here's what's happening. Jesus has arrived to Jerusalem which is the capital city of not only the people of Israel, but of their faith, you know? And and he enters the temple, which is the place that represented the very presence of God. As as Christians, um, we kind of view uh, God's presence everywhere, that God just shows up. But there was a special sense in the temple that that's where God showed up. That's where the religious things had to happen. So people travel all over the world to get there. So this is where the Jewish faith found their center. It's a holy place. And Jesus comes in to this holy place, and there's what Jesus does. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So give you some context here. So at the center of the Jewish faith and the job of the temple was to offer animal sacrifices, right? But you could only offer specific animals. They had to be the best of the best. And so everyone who was taking this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, it wouldn't make sense for them, you know, to herd their sheep or to carry their doves with them on this really long journey. So they would buy them um, outside the temple, right in the temple courts. Um, And they so they could offer them as a sacrifice for their sins and et cetera. This was part of the Jewish tradition at the time. And, And so Jesus enters the court where people are selling these animals that they're going to use for sacrifice. And he overturns the tables of the people selling, which is pretty intense, if you think about it. Like he comes across like he's a little angry. Uh, We don't really know if he's angry, um, but that's how he appeared. In fact, in the story of Gospel of John, where it tells a similar story, the people responded by describing uh, Jesus as someone with zeal. The Greek word here for zeal means to boil over, which can refer to passion or anger. Either way, those are some pretty close cousins, I'd say. So Jesus comes across as boiling. Can you imagine if I came in here and I started condemning all of you and I started flipping these pews, which is actually really hard because they're screwed down. (laughs) That's where the people in the temple got it wrong. Um, 
you bold it down, then people, you know, but, but imagine if I could, you know, that would be pretty scary. You'd be like, whoa, this, is, this just got serious. Now, Jesus tells them why he's overturning the tables in Matthew, and there's a couple different reasons. John has a different reason. This is Matthew's version of the story. Verse 13, it says this. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. He's quoting a couple of Old Testament passages here, passages that we're supposed to know about, um, passages that maybe even the people would have been familiar with. In the passage that I'm going to talk about is where he refers to them as a den of robbers. This passage he's quoting is from the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he's referencing. So go, let's go to Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. It'll be on the screen here. This is the, this is, this is the, this is the verse we're supposed to go to when Jesus says, you've made my house into a den of robbers. This is written many, many years before this event. And this is what it says. The prophet is condemning the people, giving them a hard time because of what they're doing. And this is what they're doing. Will you steal? and murder, and commit adultery, and perjury, and burn incense, to Baal, and follow other gods who you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, oh, we're safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? See, that's what he's quoting. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. You see, back in the time of Jeremiah, the religious rulers would do all of these horrible things. Steal, rob, sleep around, whatever, abuse people. Use their religious authority to do these things. And then they come back to the temple as if they were just little angels. They believed that they could do whatever they wanted. And as long as they came back to the temple where God's presence was, God would still have to show up, keep them safe. And God is like, no, 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 no. Grace shouldn't be used as an excuse to hurt people. You can't just go around, steal, murder, and lie, and then come back to church and think, I'm good, only to do the same thing. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is grace. You can't out-forgive God, but God isn't interested in corrupt religious rulers, people who use their religious authority to hurt other people. It's not okay. God is not okay with people in power hurting people who are vulnerable, ever. This is the passage that Jesus is referring to. In fact, we can't say for sure how Jesus felt in this violent episode where he's overturning tables. It kind of feels like he might be angry. But here's what we do know for sure. There's one place in the gospel where it specifically says Jesus was angry. It's in Mark chapter 10. In that story, it's about a group of, uh, there's this group of uh, uh, unruly children. They're all making noise, and they want to go see who this Jesus is, and it's this whole problem. They're, like, probably squeaking on paper with markers or, you know, or, like, Finn just randomly running through the church, you know, and it's like, get those kids under control. And they don't, like, leave Jesus alone. They wouldn't let him come to Jesus. And he says, like, get away, and here's how Jesus responds when that happens. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, angry. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. He was indignant. He was angry. Right here, the Gospel of Mark says Jesus was angry. Why? Because God has a special sense of justice for the most vulnerable every time. For children, for hurting, for the lonely, In this particular culture, it talks often about immigrants, 
widows, without social protection, orphans, you know, people who are exposed and vulnerable. God has a special sense of justice. So he, when he enters the temple and he overturns the table, this is what I think is going on, and here's why. He's pushing against power, and look what he does next. This is the part that I hadn't paid attention to before. You know, I thought he went in and overturned the tables, and that was like just to make some point, like, you stupid religious rulers, look how terrible you are. No, Jesus is actually going to do something after that. This is what he does. He overturns the table. He drives some people out, but it's not just this kind of rage. No, he's cleared an area of the table. Look what he does. The next verse, verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. He's clearing a place to hold a little clinic. He is showing them the true purpose of the temple. Not a place to protect the powerful, but a place to heal the vulnerable. Not a place to protect the powerful, but a place to heal the vulnerable. The temple, and I would say the church now, is meant to be that. And when the vulnerable aren't being cared for or protected, anger is a fair and reasonable emotion. But like Jesus, our anger should push us to heal, not hurt. Do you hear what I'm saying? Anger is a fine emotion as long as it pushes us to help others. In fact, it's one of the benefits of anger that we shouldn't lose. I was reading a little bit about the benefits of anger from an article from the Greater Good magazine. It's out of Berkeley. Um, and this is what one of the authors says in it. They talk about the right way to get angry. And they make a case saying altruism, like doing good things, is often born from anger. When it comes to mobilizing other people and creating support for a cause, no emotion is stronger. It's a mistake to presume that kindness, compassion, love, and fairness line up on one side of the continuum and anger, rage, and dislike on the other side. Positivity alone is insufficient to the task of helping us navigate social interactions and relationships. A healthy society is not an anger-free society. Think about it like this. Remember the story of the young man into that, that, that we ran into that had been beat up by his brother? True story. just happened this week. Uh, join, join me on a little thought exercise. Uh, imagine, uh, and this may or may not work for you, so don't judge me. This is just how my brain works, okay? And, and so I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. Don't, don't make fun of me. Uh, or don't tell me if you do. Imagine your response to that story is just sympathy, you know, which is a warm emotion. You don't feel bad for having sympathy. So you feel bad for him, Right? Just try to feel that for just a moment. Feel that in the moment. Feel sympathy. Sympathy is all about feeling what they're feeling. You know, you get it, you know, ah, feel bad. Poor kid, right? That really sucks. Man, that had to have been very difficult. Now, if that's all you feel, what does sympathy make you want to do? For me, this is where you might be very different from me, but for me, not much. It makes me want to feel bad for him. And feeling is where it ends. Maybe not for you. But sympathy leads to me saying, I'm so sorry that happened. I feel it for a moment, and then I move on with my life. Now, let's just feel for a second a different emotion. Let's say you feel a little angry. Let yourself feel a little angry. Try it. Think about, think about this. There, there, no young person, person should fear for their life at their own home, right? Sense of justice. It's not right for someone big who's big and strong to beat up on someone who's small and fragile like this kid. 
More should be expected of stepdads and fathers and older brothers. Every person should have a safe place to sleep, right? Everyone should feel safe in their own home, no matter who they are, how much money they make. This was wrong and it shouldn't happen. You feel it? You feel like Jesus feels it? Called to protect the vulnerable. He was just a kid, legally an adult, but he was just a kid. Sit with that. Now, does that make you want to do something about it? For me, anger motivates and mobilizes. What do we do with it? That's a harder question to answer. That's the important one. But having motivation is the first step, isn't it? Because most, here's what I want you to hear. Most movements of justice have started with people being fed up with injustice. You can't come up with, now, they often, if they, if they have longevity, like even in the civil rights movement, it started with being fed up. But, you know, there were significant faith leaders who said, we're going to overcome evil with good, right? And that love is going to change it, and we're not going to perpetuate hate. But there's still this deep frustration. This is not how it should be. So what we do with the anger will determine whether it will make things better or not. So, for example, if you're mad at the older brother for beating him up, there might be a part of you that wants to go beat him up, you know, exchange the favor which would not be helpful. It wouldn't help the ultimate goal of everyone having a safe place to live. But instead, if you invested in affordable housing, public school system, food programs, all of the things that make life hard for people who don't have enough, if you invest in building relationships with people across socioeconomic barriers, across races, you will make a difference in the lives of people who are experiencing hard lives. And I think anger should motivate us to that. But it should motivate us to heal, to bring healing, to take action that heals our communities. You know, there was a plenty of anger in the time of Jesus. The Jewish people were under the reign of Rome. And uh, Rome wasn't a perfect government, you know, like any government. And, and nobody wants to be occupied by a more powerful government, an oppressive government where they tax and do a lot of other oppressive things. People get angry about it. And there was a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people who were angry at the Roman government. And uh, during the time of Jesus, there were plenty of so-called messiahs, who the sort of quasi-military people who were leading small groups of, uh, that took military action against Rome. And, and interestingly enough, they were called zealots. Remember zeal, passion, boiling over, zealots who would engage in military warfare against Rome, violence, anger that leads to violence and war. So when Jesus comes in and overturns the table, angry maybe at religious rulers, and then he proceeds to heal people, he was becoming a very specific kind of Messiah. When he proceeded to invite the lame and the hurting, people who had been maybe at the back of the line in this society, into that cleared out space and he cared for them, he was becoming a different kind of Messiah. Now, that doesn't mean everyone was happy with him. Check this out. Check out the next verse. I've never actually read in detail this whole story. I've kind of, you know, I focus on the action part. He overturns tables. Let's talk about that. Here's what happens next. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and catch this, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I don't know if Jesus was feeling anger. He just, he looks like he is. People said, wow, he must be angry. Um, but what we do know in the story that the religious rulers were, 
The people in the story who were truly anger were these religious rulers. And here's the craziest part. What were they angry about? Were they angry that he overturned the tables? Maybe. Like that might have been happening under the surface. But the story tells us that they're actually angry because of the wonderful things Jesus was doing and because the children were singing his praise. They were angry because Jesus was doing good things for people who they felt were unworthy. Jesus was healing people and the children of the temple, children who Jesus made clear were allowed to be a part of the community and not just sit and be quiet like religious rulers would have wanted. You know, uh, what's that old saying? I don't even know it anymore. Seen and not heard. Yeah, seen and not heard. And they're disrespecting the temple and claiming Jesus. And, and on top of it, which is heresy, they were claiming Jesus was the Messiah. That's what they were saying here. They were angry for this, which reminds me that not all anger is equal. You can feel 100% wrong and that anger be misplaced. Now, let's think about it from the perspective of the religious rulers. Let's give them some credit here. When those kids were shouting in the temple that Jesus was the Messiah, the, the religious rulers couldn't imagine anything more horrible, and here's why. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was not the Messiah. Not at all. So to hear these kids buy into this lie, once again, we're looking at it from their perspective. I mean, it's like, here's this cult leader who's teaching all of these new things and these vulnerable children, well, they'll believe anything. When they got angry at Jesus, I think their anger was 100% justified. They felt something was wrong and they were angry about it. I'm sure they felt 100% justified. My problem is what they do about it. Jesus gets angry, he corrects it, he makes things better. They get angry. Here's what happens. Five chapters later, they get Jesus arrested. They get him tried as a criminal. They have him murdered by the Roman Empire. And I'm sure they thought they were doing the right thing. Compare these two with me. In two different stories, Jesus and these religious rulers are mad at how children are being treated. They both have high concern for children, right? Which is a good thing. They both feel that children are being treated poorly. Jesus felt like they should have access to Jesus, and the religious rulers felt like they shouldn't be following this supposed cult leader. That's how they viewed it. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying that's probably how they viewed it. So Jesus, but Jesus responds by channeling to make things better. Children are welcome to learn about our faith. And, and then in, in the temple, people who are sick or who are lame, they're healed. He, he used his anger to create space for healing. The religious rulers channel their anger to turn an entire city against Jesus and have him killed. The question we have to ask ourselves, is your anger leading to healing or hurt? And if you want your anger to lead to healing instead of hurt, I, a few very basic ideas. Nothing extensive. Um, I'm not an expert on this. I'm still learning. If you haven't noticed, I can get a little passionate. Zealous. <clears throat> Overflowing sometimes. Or my ADHD friends in the room, emotional regulation. Look it up. Irregulation, yeah. Well, we struggle with emotional regulation. I know there's a few in the room, so yeah, it, it's a thing. We've had some good conversations this morning about it. I got a few silent amens. You guys don't need to know about it. Um, here, 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 just some basic ideas. Here's the first one. Number one, uh, when you're experiencing this emotion, which is not a bad emotion, 
you got to figure out what's in your control and what isn't. Okay? Stop and ask yourself, what is within your control to change? And what is it? It goes like the serenity prayer. You know, accept the things that you cannot change, change the things that you can, kind of the grace to know the difference, however that goes. So while anger should drive us the action, the reality is that we can't fix everything. We can't change everything. We have limitations. For, for example, the relig- religious rulers were very angry that people believed in Jesus, but in reality, they couldn't stop people from believing in Jesus. And killing Jesus literally made their problem worse because there's nothing greater than a martyr, you know, um, for, for a faith. So you need to know what you can do and what you, uh, to change things and what you need to accept. I'll give you a very simple, down-to-earth example uh, based a little bit in reality, but not really. Um, I'm playing with it. So let's say you're on vacation and you lose your sunglasses in the ocean. Has anyone ever lost sunglasses in the ocean? Because I lose them literally every vacation. I wear my sunglasses out into the water, which is not what you should do, and they are gone. I've done this three times. I don't do it anymore. I've learned my lesson. It doesn't actually make me angry, but we're going to pretend like it did, okay? That, I, there's plenty of things that make me angry. That was not one of them. Uh, made me a little sad. So let's say you lose your sunglasses in the ocean. You could spend the rest of your day looking for them. Not a good idea, right? You have to decide whether you can actually produce change in the situation. Those sunglasses are gone. The ocean is big. <laughs> You're not finding them. And you can be mad about it all day. You can spend the whole time looking for it. But is that the best use of your time? No. Accept the fact that your sunglasses are gone. Go through the stages of grief if you have to. (laughs) Right? They're nice sunglasses. And move on. Now, let's say, though, on the other hand, that you didn't lose them in the ocean, that you left them in your check bag and that got lost. Well, that could make you a little frustrated, and there is actually something you can do about it. The frustration might be the motivation you need to go talk to lost baggage claim. Now, once again, recognizing that these are just humans who can't solve all of your problems, but there's some motivation where you can actually do something. So you have to ask yourself, when you're upset, when you're frustrated, when you're, what can I do, what can I do, what can I change, what can I change, and you gotta be able to accept the things that you can't. So knowing whether you can do something to fix a situation or whether you just need to accept it and move on is a good way to sort of keep your anger in check. What I would challenge you with this is there's some things you gotta let go and there's some things that you let go that you shouldn't. When we look at the brokenness in the world and we look at the problems in our city, it's easy to just say, I can't change that. And in that regard, we have to lean into creative imagination where we can actually do producing. Here's the second idea I have for you. Be clear about your source of anger, and here's what I mean by that. The most common casualties of anger, misplaced anger, are often innocent bystanders. Um, You might be mad because something bad happened to you at work. You were treated unfairly by your boss. But if you're not careful without realizing it, Later that night, you find yourself yelling at your kid or angry with your wife. Do you see what I'm saying? You're angry actually about something that was wrong. You were were treated poorly. Um, But there's no point in taking that out on other people. And part of that just comes to self-awareness. Like, what are you actually upset about? When I get mad at Finn, sometimes I'm mad at Finn. He's not in here. But most of the time, I'm just tired, I'm exhausted, something else happened, and now he's pushing my buttons. Do you see what I'm saying? So be clear about the source of your anger. 
Anger is a symptom that something has gone wrong. So let's figure out what that is. And it might not be the thing that's right in front of you. Um, and, uh, that, but the greatest harm that I've ever done to those in expressing my anger is, is when I express my anger in the wrong place, the wrong time towards the wrong people, okay? Uh, instead, we gotta stop, take a breath, reflect, ask, why am I angry? Which takes us to number three, probably the most important thing I will say today. You've gotta slow the situation down. This is by far the best piece of advice I can give you around anger. Anger is a fine emotion. It tells you something is wrong. It's not usually the problem. It's acting on anger more quickly than we should that becomes the problem. So in that same greater good article, here, here's what a psychologist John Riskin, Riskin says. Um, and he's an expert in helping people with seemingly uncontrollable emotions, has come up with techniques for slowing down the speed of threatening events. Riskin has found that the experience of anger is not as problematic as the belief that the sequence of events triggering that anger is accelerating, that the anger is escalating, and the available window for taking action is quickly disappearing. The sense of impending danger pushes people to do something that might stop the immediate threat, but in the long term will make the situation worse, such as punching the person who cut you off you know, in line at the grocery checkout or any other example. I want to read this part again. Let's zoom in on it. Riskin has found that the experience of anger is not the, as problematic as the belief that the sequence of events triggering that anger is accelerating, that the danger is accelerating, escalating, and the available window for taking action is quickly disappearing. This is huge. We do irrational things when we feel like the window to responding to an event is closing. And it's just not true, okay? There's time. I've seen so many problems and deep hurt happen in my life, my marriage, ministry, and other people's lives because we believe that that window that I have to respond is closing and I gotta do it right now and we make our worst decisions. I've been guilty of this. I've seen other people getting guilty of it. I've been a perpetrator of it. I've been a victim of it, okay? And it's not good. We've got to slow down. Your window to responding is fine. You've got to breathe, stop, give yourself more time, count to 10. This psychologist has people think about their anger as a, as a speedometer, like 100 miles per hour, you, you know, is like your anger's at its at its most, and what you want to do is wait till your anger kind of drops in speed, and it's like thinking about it as a speedometer, as like you're traveling down the road super fast. You want to get to like 30 miles per hour, then you can start interacting with the person again. But even just like thinking, counting to 10 or thinking about it in some sort of way that you can measure, like where's my anger at, allows you, like if your anger's at 100, you don't need to be talking to the person who made you angry, all right? Wait till it gets down to like 30. You know what I'm saying? So that's some of the things. But you can go on a walk. Um, you can give it a day or two before you respond to that email. Okay? Speaking from experience. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to feel angry. It's healthy. It's normal. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. There's plenty to be angry about. The problem isn't feeling angry. The problem is what we do with it. And the first step to being sort of holy in our anger is not acting out of it, to pause, to breathe. Here's my last uh, piece of, of, of advice for what it's worth. Maybe one of these might be helpful for you at some point in your life. Number four, justice isn't just punishment. 
Justice is often motivated by anger. We see injustice and it frustrates us. We feel that we've been treated unfairly. We feel that someone we care about has been treated unfairly, you know, and we want to do something about it. But it is easy in our human brokenness to lack that sort of creative imagination to imagine a different fix. It's easy to then think that justice equals punishment. We're angry at what someone did. They did something wrong. It was wrong. They shouldn't have done it. We want to be held accountable. They need to be punished. I think if we're not careful, we could read the story of Jesus overturning the tables this way. The religious rulers were messing up, and Jesus showed them. Good for you, Jesus. Put them in their place. No. It's the opposite. The religious rulers acted this way. Uh, they, they, they're super mad at Jesus, and they believe he's a cult leader, maybe a false leader, and they, they want to make sure that he's put it, you know, all the way to the point of hanging him on a cross. That's how they respond to it. And that's what normal humans do. Humans do. When we're angry, we assume justice means punishment. What you're doing is wrong, so you need to be shut down. You need to be punished, held accountable. I don't think that's what God believes. For God, justice means wholeness for everyone. Do you see the difference? And in Jesus' story, overturning the tables made a statement not only about what they were doing, but Jesus didn't stop there. He used this cleared out space to invite people to be healed. In other words, justice isn't about just about punishment or accountability or making a statement. It's about healing and hope and wholeness, even for those who are doing the harm. Jesus talks about loving our enemies. While Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks at the Roman soldiers, his executioners, And he says, Father, forgive them. So when we face injustice, we can think to ourselves, you know, these people need to be held accountable. And you might be right, they do. But the way of Jesus tweaks this a little. The way of Jesus says, sure, they, they should probably be put in, we should speak truth to power, but not just so they can be held accountable, but that there's room for everyone to heal. The way of Jesus looks at injustice and thinks what needs to change so that everyone can be healthy and whole. Healthy anger wants to make things right, not just even. Let me say that again. Healthy anger wants to make things right in the world. Good. Not just even. Because here's the thing. Violence is a cycle. Hurt people hurt people. So if you've been hurt, it's likely that you'll hurt somebody else. And people who are victims of violence today will become perpetrators tomorrow, studies have shown. And perpetrators of violence today were likely victims before. Hurt people hurt people. So the way of Jesus isn't just about hurting people who've hurt people, but about healing people who've hurt people. So we can cut the cycle of violence. And hurt and pain in our world can come to an end. Our church is actually going to... I'm going to share this more later. Um, the band can come get ready. If, wherever they, I think they're on their way. But um, um, I don't have time to get into today. We've run out of time. But I will share this. We are currently, and myself and then others as it grows, are participating in an initiative, a citywide initiative in partnership with a variety of significant agencies. Uh, It goes all the way from the chief of the police, the mayor, et cetera, around reducing violence in the city. And there's a role for churches to play in reducing violence in the city. Um, One of the things that we hope to do is actually 
participate in this initiative by showing up and loving people who've been impacted by violence. Uh, if it's somebody ends up getting shot, uh, dies from gun violence, we'll, we'll show up and we'll say, hey, we'll cover your funeral costs, we'll cover your, you know, we'll provide a catered meal so your family can get together and remember them. You know, like just providing some really basic immediate stuff so that there's space for people to heal. And I honestly believe, there's so much more I wanna say about this, it's very early stages of some of the new work that we're gonna be doing, but I honestly believe that it's gonna play a role in helping people who are really hurting stop hurting others and then we can cut violence and the cycle of violence in our city. And by, by doing that, probably uh, we'll learn a lot about ourselves in the process. So we'll, I'll share more about that in the coming weeks, but uh, I really felt like I wanted to just mention that because it's so appropriate to what we're talking about with anger. So uh, let's pray. God, we come before you, and um, God, I, I, I give you thanks for your grace, um, that for all the ways in which I've uh, fallen short and for each one of us who've fallen short, Help us, Lord, to be emotionally healthy people. Uh, help us to give grace to one another when we fall short of that goal. Um, we give you thanks for that, 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 that we can't out-forgive you and that your love and grace is still at work making each one of us whole. In your son's name we pray. Amen.